also the original host of Sasquatch Podcast and is the creator of Small Town Monsters Film Production Company. Mark Mansky now hosts uh, Sasquatch Podcast with his son and co-host Andy Mansky. Sasquatch is a show or a podcast about Bigfoot. So please welcome (laughs) Seth, Mark, and Andy. So um, in 2014, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, 15, 2014, Sasswat, mm-hmm. 2014, uh, I started a, a podcast called Sasswat, um, it's called Sasswat, a podcast about Bigfoot, um, and I, I basically started out by just rambling incoherently into a microphone about my thoughts on Bigfoot, and it, it really is pretty appalling to listen to now, because it's literally me just talking by myself to the, to the microphone and throwing it out into the ether. And then thankfully I met Mark at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference, and Mark and I uh, started doing Sasquatch together, and uh, Sasquatch morphed into this weird show. We're the nerdy, we were the nerdy. (laughs) We're still the nerdy. Yes, we were the nerdy uh, Bigfoot podcast. So we just talked about like our takes on Bigfoot culture and um, all that kind of stuff. And it was was fun. Uh, We did a hundred episodes together and then I split. And now (laughs) these two two do that. And I should say in the interim, between all of that happening, I made a movie called Minerva Monster. And... um, and then another movie made Beast of Whitehall, and then another named Boggy Creek Monster, and we just finished Mothman at Point Pleasant. And these guys helped us make our latest, which is called Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. Uh, it's a documentary based on a lot of uh, Stan Gordon's work, um, specifically a book he did called Silent Invasion. But it, it takes you through this bizarre history of the Chestnut Ridge in Pennsylvania. Um, one of the reasons I made the movie is to give something to Mark, because Mark absolutely loves that story, and just to be honest, I knew very little about it going into it. So um, Mark's going to co-write it with me, and he is the narrator on that particular film. Um, So that comes out October 20th. And Andy on that movie was our uh, creature effects man. So (laughs) there's a creature effect in the film that came from Andy. It was a dream come true. It, it really was. <laughs> For me too. So, take it. Yeah, well, um, I think it's the story of how Seth and I met is very interesting. It, we were both attending the Ohio Bigfoot Conference in Cambridge, Ohio, and uh, that's held at Salt Fork. But there's a VIP dinner that's held the night before at a restaurant called Theo's Restaurant in downtown Cambridge. And we generally follow the rules on things, and it said, don't go to Theo's before 6 p.m. So we waited until 6 p.m., walked in the restaurant, and it was packed. There was no place to go. And my intrepid wife went around looking for open spaces and uh, found a booth where Ronnie, Seth's dad, and Seth were sitting, and she just asked, do you mind if my family sits at this booth? And they were too nice to say no. So we sat down and we started talking about 
you know, Bigfoot, obviously, why are you here? But we found out we have movie taste in common, and we like comic books, and like Seth said, we're the nerdy Bigfoot podcast, so we had a lot of nerd interest uh, in mind, as well as um, when we had a prayer at the beginning of the meal, we learned that we share faith as well, which was really cool. So we just stayed in touch, and Seth had me on a podcast to talk about Godzilla, a completely different setting. I felt like it was a tryout, almost. It was. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't tell him in advance, you're gonna, this is a tryout for my Bigfoot podcast, let's talk about Godzilla. <laughs> but we did that, and it led into, um, like Seth said, 100 episodes or, or so of uh, just not only our own thoughts, but then we started, uh, Seth, I made contact with a lot of people who you probably have heard of, like Lyle Blackburn and um, Eduardo Sanchez, who directed Blair Witch Project, who was making a Bigfoot film at the time, and got them to come on our show. Yeah, that was weird. Which was crazy. <laughs> there really was no reason for them to talk to us yeah. at the time. And still, they did. Still, still no reason. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't. But um, it's just really, it's been a, a lot of fun to be involved with that. Andy, what are your thoughts? It was crazy the night we met Seth. Because it was like, the way my dad told it, it made it sound like my mom asked us before she went around randomly asking people, can we sit with them? No, she didn't. So it's like, here's our new Bigfoot friends. And that could have not been a truer statement for the next, what's it been, three years now? Yeah. So We've been all over the country together. It's crazy. Right. right. It's crazy. You can track most of, like, our Christmas card, cool things we've done <laughs> the year, and it's been because of Seth. So it's yeah. crazy. If that would have not happened... I'm so glad you have a fear of crowds, because if not, I mean, we wouldn't be up here right now. We might be attending this, but we wouldn't be up here right, right now. Scared to talk to Seth Breedlove. Oh my goodness, it's Seth! <laughs> Intimidating. That's my goal. Uh, so, so we got to talk about Bigfoot, right? That's, that's why we want to be here. That's why everyone wants to be here to talk Bigfoot. We've been into Bigfoot for, well, that's how we met. So obviously we're super into Bigfoot. Um, and we've talked for hundreds of hours at this point about Bigfoot. Spent three years of my life kind of devoted to this subject, which is strange, but there it is. Um, so we wanted to talk kind of um, about, first of all, what 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 a Bigfoot is. What is Bigfoot? So we're gonna I'm gonna let Mark lead from there. Okay. Well, Andy and I sat down earlier this week. With the 4th of July, it's kind of hard to remember what was this week and what was last week. But we talked about what are the prevalent theories about what Bigfoot is. Because we've talked about this on the show quite a bit. There are people who have more or less experience looking for Bigfoot, but you can't really say that there are Bigfoot experts, because that implies that we really know what they are. Uh, at the end of the day... We really, we really don't know. And so we have only theories to go on. And so the first, and probably the most, um, most popular theory, certainly in research circles, the one that you're going to hear the most, is that Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature that is most likely some sort of undiscovered primate living you know, in North America or wherever else uh, it's being sighted. Um, 
we want to just quickly go through the pros and cons of each of those theories. Um, what would a pro be? A pro for this is it's a natural explanation to a certain extent. I mean, a pro of giant ape, bipedal ape walking around is, you know, in a way of giant hairy creatures walking around, it makes sense. It's not way out there, and in the case of the gorilla, it's essentially happened already. Sure, it's not, you know, Akron, but it's still there, and it still could be explained in this way, and explains leaving evidence, and explains certain things, yet there are still flaws with this plan. Seth, flesh and blood? I mean, this is where I come down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My personal opinion is, if, if they exist, though, i got to predicate you by that. <laughs> if, if, if they exist, um, I think all the evidence points to a, an ape, an undiscovered ape. I think that is the predominant theory that I subscribe to. Um, I don't buy into some of the other things we're going to get into. Um, but I definitely love the stories regardless. Um, I, th I just, for, for, from you know, as far back as the 1800s, we have stories like this so cool. where they reference... <laughs> so um, cool, I've never seen that before. It's yeah, cool. this is one of my favorite stories too. It's from 1930, but we've got them all the way back to the 1800s. In fact, the first recorded in Ohio is the Gallipolis Ape, Gallipolis Ape, um, which is 1869. And they said they, they, there was a giant ape down there that attacked a wealthy man and his daughter. No names are given, though. That bugs me. Mm -hmm. or especially in 1800s newspaper journalism. Right. Um, you got to really weigh your sources there. But like I said, for me, the, 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 the majority of evidence that you see um, for the existence of a Bigfoot points to an undiscovered ape. So that's, that's where I come down. Yeah. Now, the obvious con, I think... Oh, that's not even going Yeah, <laughs> And it's a, it's a um, pretty famous question, a well-known question on the flesh and blood creature is, if they are real, where's the body? And you hear that a lot in Bigfoot circles. Where's the, where's the carcass of even one creature? And you've heard probably some explanations as to large mammals decaying very quickly in the wild and, and also the, the one that I always quote which is that there was a, there was an explorer in Africa who, who actually witnessed uh, gorillas covering the dead body of one of their fallen gorilla comrades mm -hmm. home front yeah so there's there's pros there's cons flesh and blood right yeah. another one another theory and uh, this is largely uh, taken from a couple sources, but one is uh, John Quasar's book, um, Recasting Bigfoot, uh, that suggests that Bigfoot might be a lost Native American tribe. Pros and cons. Pros and cons. A big pro for this theory, with this theory, for me, is it explains intelligence. Clearly, whatever these creatures are, they're intelligent. They, they're evading us, they're doing things that seem like they're smarter than your average woodland creature. And to me, the intelligence factor makes sense with this theory. And it also makes sense in alleged communications. And there's also, as I'm sure you'll get into, there's a, in Native American folklore and their languages, there's words for things that seem like they describe this type of thing. 
Yeah, you said it. I don't have to. I'm out. No. <laughs> Drop the mic. He's out. He's out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with him on that. I mean, everything, it's, it's, um, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm going to be contrary to, tonight to everything. Don't worry about it. I don't subscribe to this one at all, just because <coughs> the extremely hairy, we're going to do Q&A after we're done, so once we get to that, we'll, we'll take questions. But um, I just don't subscribe to it because of the fact that so many of the sightings are up extremely hairy uh, bipedal creatures with mm -hmm. ape-like appearances. That's probably something else I should have mentioned, is that so many of the witnesses we've spoken to ourselves, you know, sat and talked to, describe an ape-like appearance to the face mm -hmm. and behavior. Yeah, it's the odd case, certainly, where it's more human-like. But you do have a lot of them in the late 1800s, hundreds, and uh, I, I brought a couple of them, but in the late 1800s he was referred to as a wild man. Obviously, mm -hmm. and and some of that, what what the eight proponents point, the, what the the reason for that is that they say that people back then didn't know what else to compare it to because it was a hairy, upright creature. At that point, we didn't have gorillas, um, so they called them wild man. Um, but these early wild man reports, and we could talk about this real quick because mm -hmm. um, we've spoken about it on the show. But there's some really weird wild man stories, like stories about wild men with spears and riding on horseback and that yeah. kind of thing, especially in Canada, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, some of them. Canada, sometimes wearing a whole, I'm not kidding, a lumberjack shirt oh, or no. stuff like that. It's really bizarre. It's not even worth laughing at. This. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But, but the name Sasquatch comes from a, a basically a, a, if I'm not mistaken, but stories about these giant men, right? I mean, essentially, right. that's what a Sasquatch was. Yeah. Um, so there, there is definitely uh, lore to back up mm -hmm. that particular theory. And that's a hard thread to research. Those who have tried you know, kind of get so far into Native American communities and they sort of hit a wall where they will communicate with you and talk to you to a certain degree and then after that, if you're a, you know, of European descent, or you're not Native American, you're not going to be let into that circle. So that makes kind of tracing and tracking down some of these theories very difficult to do. Another theory, Bigfoot isn't real. <laughs> they don't exist. They are, in some way, shape, or form, living folklore or a projection of the subconscious mind, and that's it. Or, or like the memory of our distant past. And Something along one, those lines, certainly. Yeah, the one that we dislike so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, I, go into that more. Well, there's this idea that, that, that Bigfoot, in general, is a, some sort of psychological manifestation of our caveman history. This is legitimately, is that a good way of putting it? I mean, that's... Mm -hmm. Essentially, that is something that some uh, detractors uh, from the existence of Bigfoot will point to, is that this is just a, a prehistoric memory of our distant relatives running around the woods, and we're just mem remembering them, or so I, I don't even quite understand it, and yeah. Mark probably has a much better way of putting it, but it, to me, of all the, um, the theories that would take away from the existence to, to, to to debunk the existence. This is the most absurd by far. <laughs> memories don't leave tracks, for one thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And 
you know, it, the pro of that is, and this is where it usually comes from, it's a neat and tidy academic explanation for what people are seeing. Um, but the problem, of course, is that a lot of your academicians aren't out in the woods, or they're not talking to people yeah. about what they've seen. You say that word six times fast. That's a triple word score in Scrabble, I'm pretty sure. Um, but the question, and you've, Seth has hinted at it, is why see this? You know, if people are capable of seeing this specific seven to eight foot tall, hairy, upright walking creature, then why aren't we seeing other very strange, non-existent things as well? It's, it's just a, it's one of those things where you're, you're tempted to explain something and wrap it all up in one neat and tidy package, and it just never has been that compelling to either one of us. I have, yeah. I have issues with solving a mystery with something like that, and yeah. I have issues with solving a mystery with another mystery. Right. Which is when we get into the supernatural stuff, that's, that's where I yeah. have issues with that. Yeah. I suppose another theory, real quick, we'll speed this up, because I want to get into those Ohio reports. But you'll hear people say that everybody is either misidentifying something in the woods or is hoaxing. You know, that's probably the easiest and the most offhand way that people deal with the subject of Bigfoot, is that they'll just sort of immediately say, oh, they're just making it up. You saw a they're, bear. Yeah, <laughs> right. You're crazy. No. Yeah, and um, the pros of this, obviously, are people do misidentify things. And uh, it's very easy to see the so-called stump squatch out in the woods where it looks like something huge and hulking and we project our thoughts onto that or what we want to see maybe but that's not it at all um, it's possible and along with that unfortunately in this field there are known hoaxers and people who have put forth information as if it's real either to potentially gain financially or just to just for the thrill of get, pulling one over on everybody and being able to say to whoever will listen, boy, I really got them. Um, thoughts on hoaxers, thoughts on... Uh, the mis misidentification thing. Identification. <laughs> There's also another photo where I'm just hugging it. Yeah. But, um, the misidentification thing, the thing I have to bring up with that is a researcher who helped out on Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, Stan Gordon, brings up the fact that a lot of UFO reports he looks into are planets. It's the constant, and he's like, it's really, they misidentified. And so it really makes sense that you do have to go, you can't say yes to everything. Because there is the hoaxer who may give you something that you go, well, I heard a guy once say this, so this is what it has to be, and that guy is not telling the truth. So, I mean, people misidentify, and I think... As someone who looks into this, you have to realize that. Because if you say everything is Bigfoot, then you really will have things that contradict each other, and then you can't tell what's what. Right, Andy, I'm just going to have... I, now I know why Andy does the show. <laughs> I got kicked off the show because of Andy. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's, there are, I'd say... When I speak to witnesses, um, there, there are definitely a lot of times where I've spoken to witnesses and I knew for a fact that they, were, they had misidentified something. You just 
clearly tell that they had misidentified a deer or something. Um, so that is definitely a, a, a good argument. The problem is it doesn't explain away. You know, when you're, when you're literally talking almost two centuries, I mean, well, it goes a lot further, but documented stories especially of, of history of these types of sightings, you, it, to just say, well, they're misidentifying upright walking bear, it gets ridiculous. Yeah, it's right, it is. In the end, it's credible witnesses are the problem with this theory. You know, people who otherwise you would probably trust them enough to check on your house while you're on vacation and things like that have had daylight up-close sightings of something that's clearly not a bear or a walking stump or a man in a fur suit trying to scare you. Our hunters experience, we've spoken to many experienced hunters who know wildlife and they're not familiar with what they're identifying. And that, that always makes you question, you know, the, I mean, that, that for me is, and, and I, I totally understand that witnesses aren't, you know, that is in court, well actually in court it is admissible. You know, I mean, that's the crazy thing about all this. We write so many citing reports off because we say, well, it's just, it's just hearsay. But at the same time, well, you you got to vouch for a lot of these people, or, or look at a lot of these witnesses, and say, well, this this might not be someone who's lying. So if they're not lying, what are they? What did, what did they experience? What did they actually see? <clears throat> That's what keeps me going. That's why our movies are entirely focused on telling these, hearing these people's stories, and and kind of re repeating those stories and putting them out there for you to to kind of make up your own mind about it. And and you know, I. We've ne none of us have actually seen a Bigfoot, but I've spoken to enough people that I, I believe aren't crazy or misidentifying or hoaxing something uh, that it keeps me going, keeps me interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that question, I think, that is at the heart of it, is what did they see in the end? If they didn't see, if we can rule out other things, and there's still somebody we would trust, and you can tell they've been affected by this, then what is it that they saw? And that's where the search goes. One more. It's Seth's least favorite one. I can guarantee you this. And it's the so-called interdimensional or the supernatural theories of Bigfoot that in some way, shape, or form, they can wink in and out of our existence, leaving physical traces behind. But uh, you get into the research of people like the aforementioned uh, Stan Gordon and others who have... You know, just taking reports of Bigfoot or something like it being shot at point-blank range and with a flash of light like a camera flash, they disappear. And they, just, it, the problem with it already, and Seth has said this, and I think it's a very valid point, is that it's explaining a mystery with another mystery, which is very convenient from an explanatory standpoint. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't leave you with anything near what we would call proof. And it's also one in one in five hundred reports. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's a minuscule. Now you do have strange flaps, like with the the Stan Gordon's work in the chest on the Chestnut Ridge. You do have flaps where all of a sudden there are multiple people seeing UFOs and Bigfoots together, and Bigfoots are winking out of existence and things, and they're seemingly happening all at once. You know, like in multiple settings and things like that. But 
it's, it's not the predominance of the reports. And the biggest problem I see is that when people do subscribe to that theory, the supernatural, <coughs> suddenly they're writing everything on that. So someone that already believes a Bigfoot is some sort of supernatural being or, or, it's, or it's interdimensional, writes that on top of every sighting you have about it. Example, we had something strange happen to us in the Tina T area in Point Pleasant that I believe might have been Bigfoot related. Really weird rock rows. Um, when I talked to someone later that night, they were convinced that we had had an experience with a poltergeist. And a poltergeist Bigfoot. And that's because they've written that on every, you know, like that's their theory. So now every time something happens to someone out in the woods, they're having an experience with a poltergeist Bigfoot in the woods. So that's... You try to, it's weird, you have to walk this line of like keeping a, an open mind, not so open that your brain flies out the window, but you got to keep an open mind and you don't want to, you don't want to write your theory on top of everything else until you've got some experience of your own or evidence of your own or you've talked to enough people that you can say, this is what I believe based on the evidence I've seen. And that's where, why I come down on the eight side of things. I've seen 400 Bigfoots. And they were definitely apes. That's a joke. <laughs> Tell us more. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, do you want to get into yes. Buckeye Bigfoot? Yes. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's okay. Let Andy start with this. So yeah. these, are, these are going to be some of our favorite kind of Bigfoot accounts from around the state of Ohio. And the, the, the stories that we are, are fans of, stories that we believe, um, you know, stand the test of time. Or just stories we like because we're nerds. <laughs> Can I start with Minerva? Is yeah. That yeah. Minerva Monster. Seth's first documentary is really what introduced me to Minerva Monster. The story of how one family keeps having all these reports through the years. And the thing that makes it interesting is the same thing year after year. What's happening and what they're seeing. It's a photograph. It just came out weird. Um, um, it's proof right there. Um, and just we know it looks like it's taken from the back, and he's peeing. Every time I show this at something, someone wants to tell me that it looks like a Bigfoot from behind, and he's urinating. I get it. I know. But just the reports they had, and almost the relationship they had with this creature, the way it interacted with them is very interesting. It's a very interesting story. Check out Minerva Monster. Uh, yeah, it is, a, it is, can I talk about Minerva for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, so for those that don't know, the, the Minerva Monster story is about uh, this family that lived out, outside of uh, Minerva, Ohio, off of the Lincoln Highway. And back during the summer of 1978, they had frequent encounters with an upright, hairy something um, that, that also involved the death of their dog, which um, was ripped out of a, a, a collar, his neck was snapped. Um, there, were, there were a lot of other things. The strangest probably, my favorite weird story connected with that is that one, one day the kids, there was, there, there was a large family, there were a lot of people that lived there connected to the family, so it wasn't just family, direct family. But one of the kids was uh, with two, uh, actually it was two of the kids, and then two of the boys, and then two of their friends were walking around the strip pond near there, and they actually were on this ledge and they looked down below and they said they saw the Minerva monster and um, they, they thought it was a man is what they used to to say um, they thought it was like a scary man with a 
lived in the woods. So naturally, as you do when you see a man you don't know, they jumped on him, and he threw one of them to the ground and bit him on the back, and then fled off into the into the wild. Um, but that that is a story that any member of the Caton family will tell you very matter-of-factly. Like it's uh, we had mashed potatoes for dinner last night. Like mashed potatoes for dinner last night actually sounds really good. <laughs> um, but th they'll tell you that just like it's it's just a, a, an everyday occurrence. Which is one of the things about the Caton family that really stands out is they'll tell you any number of things like that, just like it's a normal thing, uh, just like it's a normal everyday occurrence. Um, there's a story Brandon has told. Brandon Dalo got to go down. And Brandon produces, produced um, two of our movies and does all the scores for the movies. Um, Brandon went down and actually got to go hiking back through the woods with the Caden family. And he said they told him the story that late at night, you, you didn't go into the woods behind the Caden's house because um, bad things would happen. And this one night they were out there and they had been hearing the creatures calling. Uh, and again, they tell you this like it's just, you know, like you hear uh, the, the guy was driving his car too loud up and down the road last night or something. That's how they talk about these things. Uh, supposedly, um, how he was walking through the woods and something swung from one of these trees, uh, picked him up and actually launched him through the air and then swung to the other side. And that's a story they'll just tell you. So, and that is still ongoing. That was fairly recent. The Caton family still lives in the same spot they did back in 1978. And they still see things in the wood behind their house today, and um, that's one of my favorite Ohio stories too. It's not one of the things I wanted to say about Minerva that I think is really compelling is the reaction of the community to when word got out, especially in the local papers, that the Caton family was having these weird sightings on their property. All of a sudden, uh, there were a number of things that started to happen. One of which was uh, the, uh, you know, the proverbial armed posse started showing up on their property going to hunt for Bigfoot. And, you know, aside from the, the Bigfoot element of that, imagine if that's your house and your land, and all of a sudden people are showing up armed on your land walking around back there trying to shoot something. It's, the stress level would be... Incredible. And to tie that back into small town monsters, everything, uh, a lot, almost every story we've covered has that element, has an armed posse going out searching for the small rural community monster, um, all the way back to the 1930s and the Norwalk Gate. So, so that's a common occurrence in these stories, and we found it in everyone we've investigated that there was a, inevitably some sort of armed posse that goes out hunting the giant creature. But that is a, a, the other thing connected with that was the family was suffered a lot of ridicule um, after they'd come forward with their story. Their story was in the newspaper and all kinds of stuff. So, now, didn't um, you tell me that they went to a football game? They went to a football game and the, the crowd started chanting Bigfoot at them. So, oh. I mean, they, the, the people used to drive up their driveway at night and scream, scream, you know, Bigfoot at the house and throw stuff in the driveway. And uh, how he told us they lit, made the, the, his senior year of high school, other kids in school made his senior year of high school a nightmare because mm -hmm. of the, just the fact that this family had reported. And all they did, by the way, they didn't, it wasn't like they, were, they wanted the world to know their story. They didn't. They reported it to the police because they wanted to know what they should be doing about all this. And the police reported it to the Akron Beacon Journal. And then the Akron Beacon <laughs> Journal covered it, and then it got picked up on the Beacon Newswire, and then it went global. And next thing you know, there's uh, film crews from 
television news crews from uh, Japan and Germany on the front line. When he says there were people out hunting for a monster, the crowds of people hunting for a monster were so large that they shut down on the Lincoln Highway because they had parked up and down the highway on both sides and jammed the road. Um, so that's how bad it got at one point. It's a big story. Not this story. That's the Norwalk game. I switched to that to draw a connection. Yeah, well, let's do it. Let's do Norwalk Gate, because I know for a time, and maybe it still is, the historic newspaper accounts yeah. were kind of a wheelhouse for Seth. Yeah, that's what I, when I got into all this, I was writing for newspapers, and this was one of the first stories I, I found, and this is connected to the Norwalk Gate, um, but this is, this is the early 1930s. What's weird is in 1919, they also had another uh, flat ape. Um, sighting flat, but it wasn't as large, they didn't have posses looking for this creature. But in 1919 there was another uh, horde of people out searching for, for the, the Norwalk ape, so he shows up about 10 years, 11 years later. Um, and this is Norwalk, Ohio, Sandusky, um, if I'm not mistaken, is that right? Sandusky? Mm -hmm. Okay, now that might not make a ton of sense now, because you think of Sandusky as a fairly populated area, um, but if you go back to the early 1900s, it was not. It, it was actually, um, it was actually, I'm not 100% sure it connected to that great black swamp that used to be covering a lot of uh, northwestern Ohio. But there used to be a swamp in Ohio called the Great Black Swamp. How many people are familiar with that? Okay, yeah, it was, it was, it covered much of, thank you, Sue, I should probably just have Sue. <laughs> um, it covered much of, of northwestern Ohio and into Indiana. That's how I know. Into Indiana, if I'm not mistaken. And um, you want a perfect place for an undiscovered animal to hide out, it would have been here. It's, it's miles and miles of swampland that they drained over the course of 20, 30 years, a very long period of time it took them to drain that land. And that land, a lot of that land is very fertile farmland now, uh, which makes sense. It used to be swampland. But anyway, the point is, back in, in, in this period of time, that was not a very populated section of Ohio. Um, so it kind of makes sense. And you can track a lot of these sighting reports. I've done it in Ohio. I don't know about other states. In Ohio, you can track a lot of these sighting reports to the populated areas. Areas that are populated now might not have been back then. Back then they would have had more sightings. Now they've moved further south. So, so when you look at Ohio, the, the bulk or the most amount of sightings tend to take place kind of southeastern Ohio and then do that thumbnail. Think of like a crescent moon up around the border at the southern tip of the state. Um, kind of like on the border with, with West Virginia, Kentucky, up, up that way. That's where a lot of those sightings, Hawking, down in the Hawking Hills area, there's a lot of sightings, but obviously everyone talks about Salt Fork State Park. But the Norwalk Ape is a cool story, and um, I don't, I, it's, there's a lot to it, so I don't want to go too much into it, but basically these people saw an ape-like creature multiple times, many people saw it. One of the funniest aspects of the story is that a local minister saw it originally and claimed he had seen a giant groundhog. So again, they're trying to connect this thing to something they understand. And he said he, he saw a giant groundhog. So, and, and eventually that is the theory that they tried to, um, to debunk this with. There was a local, not a skeptic, but like a local guy who was like, well, we just saw a giant groundhog. And they said this thing was like six feet tall. It's not enormous, but it's like a six foot tall, big foot type creature. 
in Norwalk, Ohio, back in 1919 through 19, early 1930s. And this is taken near Crystal Rock, which I looked up, and it's it's closer, it's moving further toward like the Cleveland area now, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So they're you were, and you could actually go through the newspapers and track this thing being seen across multiple counties um, over the course of like two weeks back in, in 1930. It's a pretty cool story. It's one of, and it's one no one ever talks about. So it's my baby. <laughs>